morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to get started again, jump in the Word. We've been doing it for weeks now via the uh, video here. And uh, I don't know if I'm used to it yet or not, but I'm trying to get there. It's still not the same looking at a machine over there, even though it's got two little eyeballs. Um, uh, but maybe the day will come soon when we'll be able to gather together on Sunday morning. We, we're actually gathering as is. We still gather on Sunday nights. We would love for you to come. That's when we meet, meet in our home. Um, this is just a time where we unpack the word together in video here, and then we'll come together and discuss it tonight. And uh, I do hope we're looking forward to a day soon when we will ma- uh, meet and gather on Sunday morning as well. Uh, not in lot, and not we're not going from Sunday night to Sunday morning. We are adding Sunday morning, so that day's coming soon. I hope we're actively praying and seeking the Lord on the right time, the right place. But but uh, yeah. So anyway. For now, it's a video, obviously, and we'll uh, get together tonight. So you're welcome to come. We'll have food. We'll have opportunity to hang out, talk, cut up, man. Just, just, just be uh, relaxed and enjoy time together, catching up, and then we'll pray together for a while. Very specific prayer for things that we need that we we hope to see God do or move in, move on, and then uh, we'll spend time talking about this very same thing. This text. And wrestling through it together and in more of a discussion format so we can all put our thoughts in and grow from each other. So welcome to come. We're in Tempe, Arizona. I'll put the stuff up there where you can see how to connect with us online, many ways. And uh, let us know uh, you want to come. We'll tell you how to get here. Uh, anyway, here we go. We're going to jump in the Word today, and we're going to do one more week of something different. We finished a series on Colossians, went through the whole book of Colossians. Uh, we're fixing to go into a series on, is God among us? Not, is God one of us? Is God among us? Is he here? Is he involved in the world? Is it true that he just spun the world and disappeared? Or is he still there and just watching from a distance, waiting on it all to fall apart? Does he just strike lightning periodically or does he actually come here is he present and in what ways and so those are things we're going to look at in scripture and see what the pattern is of god throughout his word and history in order to kind of get an idea well what's in his character what would he be doing today what should we expect anyway that's where we're heading Right now, we're jumping in the Word, so we're going to go back down. We're going to talk today about how disciples are made. So we talked last week. We're just kind of squeezing this in between these two series to remind us as a church of how we are unified on a mission, what that mission is, what our goals are, what our strategy is, what our vision and direction is as a church, and we do that so we're reminded of where we're at. So we talked about why should anyone care that there's a church here. That was last week. You can go back and... Check that out on podcast or video. Um, This week we're going to talk about what our main mission is, which is to make disciples and grow churches. So what does it mean when we say make disciples? Those are the things we're going to deal with today. How are disciples made? All right, that's what we're going to wrestle with. We talked about our core values. Let me put them where you can see them. Um, We talked about our core values and love um unconditional love that's kind of our evangelistic model unconditional love uncompromised truth is the heart of everything which means we love unconditionally but we don't compromise on the truth we still want you to know the truth and the truth is what's found in scripture the word of god is the truth 
Uh, and then the unified mission. So that's what we're laying into to today. This mission that we're all unified around doing is making disciples. So we want to cover what do we mean when we at Salt River Community Church, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I will speak for us at Salt River Community Church. What do we mean when we say make disciples? What do we mean when we say disciple? What is this mission of making disciples that we are unified around, okay? So I want to read a text, and this will be where we go. So if you've got a Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, we'll read there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 19 is where I'm going to jump in. Uh, so he, talking about Elijah, with a J, there's two here, so pay attention to who's who. There's a J and an S-H. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th, Elisha was. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. All right, that's that's where we're going to camp on this. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this text. I thank you for your word. It's so amazing. I thank you for the privilege of being able to work through it, walk through it, listen to it, learn from it. And most importantly, God, that you've entrusted us with the responsibility of sharing it. Help us honor that and bring glory to your name. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, as some of you guys know, I'm helping coach a football team right now, a high school football team. And the high school is only a few miles down the street from our house. And I coach, primarily I coach character, leadership and character on the team. And I do help with varsity, JV, and uh, freshmen all, all across uh, in that aspect. But I also help with running backs and linebackers a little bit. Uh, it's a huge school. It's a 6A school. Um, at, it opened in the early 90s. And at some point in time, recently even, they've had over 3,000 students. So it's it's a big school. They've got a lot of trophies, a lot of banners, uh, a lot of titles that are hanging up. If you go into the school from this brief past, they've, again, they've only been there since the 90s. They have alumni who are NFL, uh, NBA, um, MLS, even a couple of Olympians. No kidding. They come out of that school. But today, as far as football goes anyway... Everyone talks about that 2013 state championship. That 2013 state championship. Uh, and now I just started over there this year, 2020, with a, with a new coach who I was close to. We moved over there together. Uh, he's familiar with the school, but it's his first time being the head coach. And, uh, so we've only been in there since 2020 with him as head coach. Last year they had a previous coach. And I'm pretty sure they only won one game. Uh, the whole entire year. One game. What happened? What happened from that 2013 state championship to one game? I'll tell you what happened. At the bottom, the bottom line, at the end of it all, no one replicated that culture. That's what happened. No one cherished the responsibility of engaging the next generation. Uh, empowering those leaders to carry it. No one equipped them with the responsibility, not just playing the game, but the culture and the responsibility of it, of where they came from. No one, like I say, empowered them to take it on themselves and carry it on. This 
maybe in a flawed illustration, but this is an example of discipleship, of making disciples. Okay, or not in this case. But, it, but in, in what we're looking at is not about football. It's, it's no game. It's about becoming Christ-like. Okay? It's about becoming Christ-like. And the culture here is his kingdom. Okay? But the responsibility is the same whether we're talking about the football game or this. The responsibility is the same to engage the next generation, to equip them, and then to empower them. All right, so today we want to be clear on what we mean when we say disciples. A lot of churches have ideas about what discipleship is. For many, it's a Wednesday night service. For some, it's Sunday morning uh, Bible study. That's class, whatever. For some, it's the preaching on Sunday morning. For a lot, it's a residency or an internship. Some have it reserved for the top leaders to do. Some say it's a thing the staff's responsible for. Some say it's an ongoing program that they have. Some say it takes us, it's a six week course. You complete that and you're there. It's a workbook. Do the workbook and you got it. So what is it? Who's responsible for it? What's required? How long does it take? All right. These are things we're going to tackle. First of all, we believe When I say we, I'm talking about Salt River Community Church. First of all, we believe it is the essential purpose of the church. Okay? That's why we're so huge on it here. We believe, it's why it's our mission. We believe it is the essential purpose of the church to make disciples. So we define church, and I'll put this up where you can see it. We've talked about it before, but church is a local unity of believers who are working to reflect God's kingdom and authority on earth as it is in heaven. Entrusted by Jesus to disciple and be discipled, to affirm and shape each other's lives, to shepherd and be shepherded, united with the body of Christ globally. Okay, that's how we would define church. That's how we, we, we came up with that definition. This is how we understand church. All right. So then, what is a disciple in relation to that? Well, here's a definition. This is how we define disciple, okay? A follower of Jesus Christ, displaying the character of Christ. Displaying is a key word. Fully equipped with the word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to make other disciples that support the maturity of their local church and serve their community while considering opportunities to support Planting other churches or replicating, you could say. So we're going to look at the process that we believe answers all of these questions that we've brought up. The what, the how, our models, so to speak. And it's in three different areas that we approach it. And I've mentioned them already. Engaging, okay, equipping, and empowering. All right, engaging, equipping, and empowering. We'll look at them that way. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. But let's go back to Elijah and Elisha. All right, and let's see. There in 1 Kings 19, look how it started in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, to Elijah, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Verse 16, and Elisha, the son of Shephat of Abel-Moleh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So it's not just a random passing by that Elijah said, hey, Elisha, you look great for this job. God led led him to him. He led him together. For a purpose, for a passing of position in God's kingdom. Okay? For, to hand the, to hand down the rod, to hand down the torch 
a passing of, of the position in God's kingdom. Discipleship is something that's intentional, first of all. It's something that God directs. It doesn't have to be he literally says, go get this guy. But God pulls the people together, all right? And it happens when one disciple of Christ engages one to three or more, uh, a small group, sometimes one-on-one, but a small group, three to five max, I would say, but one disciple of Christ engages one to three other believers for the purpose of developing each other. So the one who asked is being developed too, developing each other into mature disciple makers and then passing that on. All right, that, that, that's, that's what it's all about. Verse 19, so he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by or crossed over to him. It doesn't mean he walked by. It, means, it literally means he crossed over from one side to where he was, and he cast his cloak upon him. So you got twelve pair of oxen here and twelve, twelve drivers. It's not like there was a... It's not like Santa's sled with all the reindeer here. It's 12 uh, individual pair of oxen and 12 individual drivers. And uh, Elisha's the last one in the back. Some say it's imagery here. It could be 12 is a symbol in scripture of authority, of rule. You have 12 disciples. You had 12 apostles, um, 12 tribes. There's, there's, we, we're not going to go down that road, but that, that could very well be what's being symbolized here. Uh, but without question, it's definitely describing what Elisha is giving up. Great wealth. That's a lot of property to work. That's a lot of resources to work it with. So a lot of wealth, a lot of rule, so to speak. Wearsby says this, Warren Wearsby said, The fact that Elisha was uh, assisted in plowing by 11 other men, probably his father's servants, suggests that Elisha came from a wealthy family. Have you noticed in the Bible that God usually calls people who are busy? Moses was caring for the sheep. Gideon was threshing wheat. Peter, James, and John were busy in their fishing business. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. God has no place for lazy people. For Elisha to give up his family and home, the wealth he would have inherited was certainly an act of faith and surrender. Without a doubt. When he says that word cloak there that he put on him, it does mean cloak like a coat or a garment over you. But it's the same word used for glory and magnificence. So what's the picture he's trying to say? Am I trying to say that we put our glory on another person when we approach them with discipleship? Uh, If you're making disciples of yourself, then yeah, that's what you're saying. But if you're making disciples of Christ, which is what we're supposed to be doing, then we're cloaking them in his glory, in his majesty, so that they can cloak others as well. Okay? Verse 20. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. So Elijah puts the cloak on him and goes on. Elisha races Pat up to catch him. He says, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? Basically, modern day language, hey, you do you, bro. You know, what, how's Elijah supposed to, Elisha supposed to process that? How would you process that? Uh, you do you, man. Well, you just walked by and threw a cloak on me. I'm asking, can I go do this? And, and your response is, well, you do you. All right. 
And he did. He returned from following him. But he took the yoke of oxen. This is his personal yoke. It says the yoke. He didn't take all of them. He took the ones that were his responsibility, sacrificed them, the oxen, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. There's a lot of stuff in there. We're not going down all that. Um, what I do want to look at, though, is that he does turn back home here. But maybe something happens on the way. We don't get, he said, let me go kiss my parents goodbye, but we don't ever hear about that. Didn't say anything about seeing his parents or speaking to his parents. Some say this was a goodbye celebration they had here, but I doubt it. Uh, I think something happened on the way back and he got back and said, I'm not even going to the parents. I'm gonna, matter of fact, I'm burning it all and I'm coming to follow him. Alright? Either way, without a doubt, that's what happened. He left it all and he followed after Elijah. So am I saying that in order to make disciples, you've got to walk off your job, you've got to ditch your family, and give up your future just to make disciples? No, I'm not saying that. But maybe. I, I don't know. That's up to God to tell you. The point is that it's such a priority in your life that you're willing to. That's the thing. We've made it this thing you do on Sunday or this thing you do on Wednesday or this thing you do in your free time. It, it, the point here is that it's something, just making disciples is something that's such a priority to you that you've already released all of those other things to the point that they may as well be gone. Whether it's job or house or family or whatever. You have committed to the mission of making disciples to the point that those things are already as good as gone. How important is making disciples to you? Is it that important? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice to obey Jesus' command to make disciples? And yes, it's a command. Command. Elijah here throwing his cloak on him was showing that Elisha would be given the same authority and the same position. That Elijah had. Do you feel like discipleship today looks like that? Is that how you feel like it looks? How many PhD Christians out there uh, are afraid they're going to lose power if they give it away? Do you feel like somebody would disciple you? Do you feel like people want to disciple you in such a way that they would give you their cloak, their authority, their position? Again, Wearsby said it's a dangerous thing to think we're the only ones holding to the truth. That's a great, great point. Perhaps Jesus had Elisha and Elijah in mind when he said this, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Lay down the yoke of slavery to sin. Lay down the yoke of Everything else of life, of burden, lay all that down and take up mind. Come follow me. And then talking to a disciple who said he would do just that. Jesus said in Luke nine sixty one, this disciple says, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Sounds like maybe he had Elisha in mind. And yes, Elisha did return to the plow, but he sacrificed it. He didn't go back to work. He went back and destroyed it. Uh, we all got the option to turn back when discipleship comes. It's a bit, you know, we've all got that opportunity. It's a big deal. It costs. 
It costs a lot. If nothing else, it costs a lot of time to disciple somebody else. Are we willing to? Or are we looking back? You know, well, let me check my calendar first. Let me see how it's going to work out. Let me get back with you on that. You know, uh, are we trying to find a way to fit it in our schedule? Or are we making it number one and scheduling around it? All throughout the chapters in First Kings and Second Kings even, that good story goes on. Uh, Elijah, Elijah is sharing ministry with Elijah, uh, Shah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm not gonna go into all that, but that's equipping. You can go back and read it. How they share their lives together. How God's word is spoken between them together. How they share it with others. How they learn to trust and expect God together to move. How they, they learn to be in danger and, and under threat and without comforts and still know that God would save and what God would provide. They know, they learn how to guide and lead and encourage other people. How to confront sin. How to confront rebellion against God. They're on mission together throughout the, the chapters that come. That is equipping. Elijah is equipping Elisha. So let's see how it ends. And there's a chunk here, but we'll pull it together quick. Second Kings chapter two, verse eight. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water of the Jordan here. And the water was Jordan River. And the water, water was parted to one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. There's so many things in here. We just don't have time. Verse nine. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. In other words, I'm going to die. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. All right, the same spirit that was working in you, I want that working in me. Verse 10, and he said, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, so as they're continuing to walk and talk, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. So they'd come right between them. And then Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So it's not actually the horses and the chariots that carry him. There's a, a tornado almost that pulls him up into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father. The chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into pieces, which is a, an act of, of uh, mourning. So Elisha, sorry to see his, not disciple maker, his father. That's how he sees him now. Sorry to see him being gone, but, you know, knowing he's where he is, but sorry to see him gone. Tears his clothes. Verse 13. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took that cloak from of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Well, that's a lot, but I want you to see the imagery here of this moment. This is the part of true discipleship that separates it from most of the ideas of discipleship that, frankly, a lot of churches and ministries have. That's transferring authority, handing off responsibility. That's what we would call empowering. That's the one piece that just gets left out. Empowering. Am I saying you got to die first? No, but I'm saying there comes a point where you entrust everything you have to another in the hopes that that one would do far greater. 
a double portion of what you did because your heart wants to see that. Look at how Jesus called, called his disciples and developed them. We'll look at a couple of comparisons. We'll finish here. Um, Jesus on engaging. Matthew 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he engaged and he called them. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Their livelihood, like much like Elisha burning his... his uh, Income with the, we already read it, verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat, look, and their father, and followed him. So they're leaving their livelihood and their father's livelihood behind. Remember, Elisha, when he cut up that animal, destroyed that uh, plow, and left, he was ditching dad, you know? Um, that's equipping. Or, or, let's look how he talked, excuse me, let's look at, look where Jesus goes with equipping. That, that was engaging, let's look at equipping. Um, and there's tons of passages of Jesus doing this, I'm not gonna read them all. Teaching them, teaching his disciples how to pray, teaching them how to minister to people, teaching them how to cast out demons, how to fast, okay? Teaching, uh, how to know his word, on and on. We go to a bunch of things. One of my favorite quick little points on that, and when he's feeding the 5,000 plus, because it was well over 5,000, they'd all gathered to hear Jesus speak, and they don't have any food, and the disciples say to Jesus, yo, man, we got to send these people away. they got to go get food, man. It's dinner time. I love Matthew 14, 16. Jesus says, they need not go away. You feed them. You give them something to eat. Uh, that's heavy. And they said, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. It's a great principle here, a great picture there of where Jesus expected his disciples to be heading, where he was looking for them to be going. And that's to a place where they feed the people. Jesus is going to do it now, but he wants them to understand there's going to be a time when they are feeding the people, spiritually and, yes, even physically maybe. And they're going to be doing so by bringing their resources as disciples and the people that they're going to disciple to him, close to him, to him. So that brings us to empowering. So look how Jesus empowered them, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, just as Elijah, Elisha wanted that double portion of the Spirit that was on Elijah, as Elijah went up into heaven, now you have the same picture in Christ as going to ascend into heaven. But before doing so, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he empowers them. And then puts them to work. It's your job now, guys. Go repeat the process. Uh, Paul, another great one. I'm not going to go into all of his either, but engaging. I could show you several. One of the biggest ones is with Timothy. When he meets Timothy in Acts chapter 16, you can look it up in your own time. Equipping. Paul traveled and trained his disciples. There's tons of texts that show that happening. Timothy being one of them as well. One of the best uh, we just read, Colossians 1, when we were studying it in verse 28, he says, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
Talking about him and his disciples. All right? Empowered. I'll just pull on Timothy since I mentioned him a couple times. An example of how Paul made Timothy responsible for disciples. How he handed that off. He empowered Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, verse 1, which is the letter from Paul to Timothy. He says, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of our God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, look, my true child in the faith. Just like Elisha and Elijah, this sense of father and son. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you feel like it's father and son when you think about discipleship, when you think about that workbook that your church calls discipleship, or that you grew up, the Sunday school class you grew up in, does father and son ever come into mind there? I don't think so. Verse 3, and I'm not trying to hate. I grew up in it too, okay? So don't, don't misunderstand that. Verse 3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, Paul says, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, I'm not going to keep reading, but he says, stay there, teach and train them in good truth, in good doctrine. Make disciples. Now, I remember when I was younger, uh, I was, and I'm going to wrap my age out here a bit, but I was always kind of encouraged not to buy a vehicle or a car that had automatic windows. <laughs> I know some of you are laughing that was there ever a car that didn't, but yeah, once upon a time, you had to crank a window up. But the reason why was because that was an electronic product in the vehicle's doors, and so the electronics could go wrong, and that would be one more huge struggle and headache that you had to deal with as a vehicle owner. And obviously they're standard now, but uh, it's amazing how many things now we have crammed into cars, digital things for days. I mean, I'm not going to list them all, you know, but they just, they put so many things in there to try to make cars more convenient for drivers and more comfortable. And oddly, in doing that, in the process of doing that, they've pretty much set it where you've got to get a, a degree of some kind to understand how to use even half of what is available to you. In these cars these days. And it would be easy to overcomplicate discipleship, guys. It would be easy to do the same thing. In fact, it's happened many times already. And oddly enough, it's an attempt to make it easy. It's an attempt to make a program for busy people to deal with. To make it more convenient, more comfortable. Uh, to put programs together that are measurable. So we know how many and what they're doing. They're they're measurable. They have standards. We know what the standard is so we can dub you as disciple or uh, deadlines so we can know who's getting their work done. You know, or we could say, hey, you finished. Now you're official. I'll give you the trophy because you completed the program or you got to the end of it all. Or weekly attendance records so we can see if we're even getting closer. You come in weekly. uh, How many times a week, a month do you come? Things like that. But what Jesus employed in discipleship is just so simple. It's just so simple. There's no ropes. There's no hooks. There's no books except one. His word. That's it. That's the only book right there. It doesn't require a master's degree. It doesn't require those things. But it does cost your time. It does cost your convenience. All right? It may cost your livelihood if you take it seriously enough. I don't know. It could even cost your life 
depending on where in the world you may be attempting to do it. It's a fact. But if you really want to see God move, if you really want to experience Jesus' presence, then this is the ticket. That's it. Right there. No measurables like that. None of the, no ropes. No gimmicks. Just his word. Just his word. You, one or two other people, maybe three, and his word. All right? That's, that's it. Can we trust, listen, can we trust that Jesus can use our weaknesses, our weaknesses instead of our strengths, instead of having to program it up and come up with a strategy and a plan and a, an organized process from A to Z so we can check the box that it's done and control everything. Instead of all that, can we trust that in the areas where we, we're not strong, where we're weak, that that's where Jesus can really work? You know, can we follow the lead that he and Paul and all the way back to Elijah have made for us? So what is this? Let's wrap it up. What is discipleship? These are the questions I asked in the beginning. We already defined it. I'm not going to define it again. Who's responsible for it? Okay. All believers are disciples. I've told you this before. There's only bad ones and good ones, but all believers are disciples. Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Disciple is used hundreds, yes, hundreds of times in the New Testament alone. You are a disciple. You're either a bad one or a good one. So who's responsible for it? You are. If you're a follower of Christ, you are. Uh, what's required? Well, faith in Christ is the only prerequisite. Faith in Christ, that's it. If your faith is in Christ, you belong to him, you are a disciple, you are responsible for doing it. All right, so that's the only thing. You don't have to have a master's degree. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to have those things. All right, how long does it take? That's one of the big questions I've always heard. I'll tell you how long it takes. It takes however long it takes. <laughs> I'm not being coy. I'm being serious. Jesus said, teach, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them all, all. That I've taught you. So, you, so you, he, he's saying everything that, that you've been given from Christ, you're supposed to give to somebody else. Now, the trick is you're learning as you go. So, you know, you're always learning. But the, but the point is, and you'd have to decide when that time is, but you are aware that, listen, I'm empowering this person. I would say you do it until the model, you model Christ for someone so long that you can begin to see Christ in them to such a degree that they are modeling it for others even before they have their own group of guys or girls, all right? Um, what makes it different from a program or a class? Well, you're modeling a life here. You're modeling a life. You're not, it's not, you know, you're living out almost a father-son, a mother-daughter. You're living out a life, not completing a course and more importantly, there, what separates it is there's a charge to replicate it. You have to take it and do, replicate it. I'm not giving this time and this effort to you and doing this if you're not willing to take it and give it to others. And we're going to establish that up front. So what does it look like for us here at SRCC? It's Salt River Community Church. We've already talked about it. Engage. Look, start, start a group. If you're part of our church, we want everybody doing this at some point. Either either get in a group, come to somebody, me, Molly, some of the leaders, Sarah, Evan, some of the leaders say, hey, man, can we? how can we get plugged into a group? Or start one. You might be someone who's in a position to disciple someone else. 
if it needs to be one-on-one, that's fine, but it could be three to five, but it needs to be same sex so you can be intimate and close. Father, son, mother, daughter, right? Uh, and then it's a time of equipping. We're going to study the word. We're going to memorize the word. We're going to read read the word. We might read some other things too that help us grow as we live our life together. We're going to serve together in the community. We're going to live our lives, man. We're going to come have dinner together. We're going to hang out for lunch. We're going to go bowling. I, I don't know, hiking. We'll go on a mission together if we get a chance. For me, it might be 12 months, 15 months. I don't know until you feel like Christ, until I begin to see Christ living in you in such a way that I'm like, man, you need to go get some guys and start this with your own. And then you empower them to do that. Release and send them. Empower them and then start again. Find another group. All right? If you want to be part of this, look, we want to hear from you, man. Especially if you're in the valley. If you're in the East Valley, hit us up online. I've already said how. I'll show you again. Hit us up online. We'd love to talk to you and explain more or welcome you to come hang out with us. If you're not in the valley, look, pray for us, first of all, if you want to be part of what we're doing. Second of all, partner with us. Come out here and hang out. We'll show you around. I love my city. I would love to spend some time showing you this city and what we're doing here. Or if you really want to support us, get online. You can give. You can give financially. We've got ways there at the website. Uh, If you go there, you can uh, donate that way. You can send us a check, whatever you want to do. You can fly out here and hand it to me. I don't care. But look, and I close with this. If you haven't given your life to Christ, if that's something you haven't done, maybe you feel like that's going to be the end of happiness when you do that or the fun's over at that stage of the game. Or, or maybe you feel like you can't be a Christian, like I can't be a Christian. I can't, I can't do that. Listen to me. There is an end, yes, but it's an end to sin. It is an end to the war with God that you may not realize you're having. All right? It's an end to sin. And, and, and it's a freedom and a joy that comes that I can't explain to you. There is a, a, this ex, inner, internal release of sin that is so wonderful. And in comes these feelings of joy and excitement for the Lord, for Him, for, for who He is and that He set you free from that sin. And then the fun comes when you're given the privilege of being able to share that same joy with other people and then you see their lives change. And then you see that go on. And I'm telling you, there is something amazing about being able to be used by God to see somebody else's life change. You want your life to have a purpose. It doesn't get bigger than that. But it starts with recognizing that, first of all, you are a sinner. You are. I am. You realize that. You realize that apart from Christ, you have no hope. That that cross is real. That he did live. He did die. He did go in the ground, and he did come out of it, that he rose from that grave. If you believe that today, tell him. If you're going to trust that today, trust him. Say it, Jesus, I trust you. I can't explain it. I don't have the answers yet, but I trust you. And then ask him to bring people into your life that will help disciple you. Man, it will be awesome, I promise. Will it cost? Yes. Is it worth it? Infinitely worth it. Let me pray for you. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the privilege of being in your word as always. God, I thank you that there may be somebody today that gives their life to you. And I pray, God, that 
that you would open their eyes, open their heart, pour your Holy Spirit in, double portion, Lord. Let them be able to uh, just run with excitement and joy, feeling the freedom of release from sin. Remind us as believers, Lord, of what you did in releasing us of sin. Help us feel that same lighthearted joy. And Lord, let us take seriously the responsibility of making disciples and find joy in it so that it becomes the priority of our life and that all of the things function around the opportunity that we have to equip somebody with your word and to empower them, Lord, to go out and share who you are and make more disciples. We ask these things all for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.